This is the Athlete Mindset Podcast, hosted by Lisa Bontesumi, and it's all about mental health in sports. This podcast is presented and produced by Sports Epreneur, part of the CADSource Network. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. I am Eric Kazmov, the founder of CADSource and the creator of Sports Epreneur. And we're hosting the Athlete Mindset Podcast on this platform as I deeply believe these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. If you would like to be featured on this show or one of our many other shows, or if you are looking to create your own content, please reach out to us. You can find us at sportse.io or you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Lisa Bontasumi is a psychotherapist and mental performance consultant to high-performing athletes at the youth, collegiate, and professional levels. She's the first ever mental health and performance coach for Oakland Roots SC, a men's professional soccer team in the USL. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Ath Mindset, and she's the host of this podcast, Athlete Mindset. It's not about having it be this grand expression that has this beautiful response that the world can see. It could be as simple as waking up and I have the power to choose like what I'm going to create for my day to day to care for myself the way that I require mm-hmm. and need. That's mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. Cooking a meal to nourish your body. That's creation. Mm-hmm. Choosing whatever music you want to put on that someone else created. That's curating and creating the space you want sonically. Um, like all those little things is how I keep very in tune with myself. Um, nature as well. Nature is a very big source of inspiration for me. I feel closest to God and most balanced when I'm in the thick of nature, especially the ocean. But if I'm in a forest, if I'm in a field, if I'm outside, if I'm laying in the sand, if my toes are in the water, I just, I need that connection as well. And it's really easy to allow any of the multiple adversities we all are going to continuously face in our life. It's easy to let those things get to you, pull away from your healthy routines. And that's where that like the teeny tiny spark of creation, that's my driving force. It's like, okay, well, let me let me show up for myself in this way. Let me create in this way. I make a lot of things by hand. I care for people, family members in my life. I care for plants. I'm always involved in some form of caretaking creation because that inspires me that keeps me going it makes me feel purposeful welcome to roots radio a monthly conversation about soccer art culture and community it takes an inside look at the birth and growth of the oakland Roots sports club through the eyes of the players workers and fans we're your hosts lisa bontasumi and richie nunez and in this series we interview special guests from the worlds of sports culture media and social activism. Follow the Oakland Roots on social media to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And please don't forget to review and subscribe to our show. Oakland Oakland first, first, always. Starting off, you know, why don't you introduce yourself? You know, what's your name and profession? What's your background? My name is Mara Ruby DeCudro. That is my full name. Ruby is actually my middle name. I'm from Oakland, born and raised. Technically, I was born in Berkeley, Alta Bates. <laughs> but I was raised in Oakland my whole life. And can you tell us a little bit more about the work you do as a musician? Absolutely. As a musician, so professionally speaking, I've been doing music for a little over 13 years. 
Um, it was something that I didn't really know that I was going to get into. It was just always in my spirit and came out through no matter what I was choosing my path to be, music kept being the epicenter of it all. And so I started pursuing music in 2009 actively, like actually, like I want to do music consciously. But I started exploring with music, I'd say, beginning around 2004, 2003. Um, I was in high school, just feeling out my own voice, my own creative expression. I was a writer first, so writing all tied in. I was a dancer for a really long time. Music is the heartbeat of it. Um, And I bought my first guitar in the 10th grade. And I was focused on creative writing. We had Youth Speaks doing a workshop in my class at Skyline. And the folks that we had coming in and the prompts that we were given really inspired me to dive into my writing, which then pairing that with getting my guitar in that same year and playing around at home. Um, I learned that I had an interest in it then. But then I had to start my journey of, okay, what does it look like actually pursuing it? That was a totally different thing, being interested in something versus really going for it. Um, so I could you know, tell a really long, drawn-out story because it's not a simple start as to how I really got into music. It was very multifaceted through very different community members that were all just like, you, you have to do this. I was at odds with a lot of challenges in my life. So I had a lot of people holding up mirrors and I was able to feel confident enough and strong enough to pursue this dream of mine that I'd always felt moved my whole spirit, which was music since, I mean, I was even in the womb. My father would place headphones on my mom's stomach and my mom said that I would kick in the rhythm of the music. <laughs> wow. So it's just, I always feel like it's just been present in me this whole time. I had to learn how to get through certain things to be able to stand up and carry that responsibility, which I feel is musical healing. There's a responsibility in that, knowing how it's always reached you, what you're meant to do through that too. No, I mean, I think it's super fascinating moving. Like, I don't know about Richie, but I I want to hear some of that long story. (laughs) You know, I think that'd be really, really just moving, fascinating, inspiring. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, you said finding music, enjoying music, but then doing music as a career. You know, I would love to hear some of, you know, your challenges and your joys in that process. Well, it was a very particular process for me, which again, began in high school, exploring just the passion and the connection of, oh, I, I really love music. It really does something for me. I'm meant to be involved in some way, somehow, but being so young, not really knowing what that looks like. And I found myself in my very first serious relationship uh, post high school. And um, he was a person who was wanting to learn how to like make beats and bought music equipment. And that was like the first time I saw someone getting their own equipment and pursuing it on their own, like Mm -hmm. what blew my mind. Mm -hmm. But this partner of mine was um, deeply abusive, very, very abusive. Mm. And um, I stopped pursuing all of my lines of 
and into life through creativity. I stopped dancing, I stopped writing, and I stopped pursuing the idea of music. Um, right after high school, before I got into this relationship, me and two dear friends of mine began a singing group. And we thought we were so cool. And then they went off to college. And I Wait, what was the name of your singing group, Mara? What was the name <laughs> of your singing group? We have to ask. The name was called Trinity, Past, okay. Present, and Future. And it was myself. It was uh, Jenna Bell. And it was Siggy Bennett. And um, the three of us spent like that summer writing songs together. We put up a music MySpace. It was a whole thing. <laughs> a few of our like close network of friends knew this one song we put out called The Hollow Response. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. <laughs> but that was my first taste into doing music, writing a song with someone, putting it online, mm-hmm. having people react to it, having mm-hmm. that kind of relationship. And I knew I wanted to keep doing it. And my two friends went off to college and I stayed home. I got a full-time job at Trader Joe's. I did the artwork there. Mm. And I was wanting to figure out how to explore music. Um, But around that time, I then got serious into this relationship. Totally took me away from everything. I, I made certain choices. I allowed that to get into my own personal intended momentum for exploring what I knew I wanted in life. I let that relationship um, be really present for me. And it was hard to navigate an emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually abusive relationship. So that stopped everything. And when I found the courage to leave that relationship was then I was like, okay, now or never I'm doing music. There's no other option. Like my life depends on it. So I got out of that relationship. I set clear boundaries. I was still working at Trader Joe's and I began recording my very first EP from her eyes. I was teaching myself how to use Pro Tools while I was recording that project. Um, By this time, like months and months and months had passed in my life. I met a new person. I was with a new person. He just so happened to be a singer. And so he was able to pour into me and let me know like, you you got it like you're you're gifted stand in your power like do what you're meant to do and he helped me understand that i could pursue this myself i didn't need to count on anyone lean on anyone that the possibilities are mine to create for myself and he supported me in that um so i recorded from her eyes it took about nine months to make it and i released it online for free and it just kind of caught wind and then took fire. And this was in the era of like Tumblr, blogs, like that's <laughs> where you went to get your resources on music and who was up and coming and who was being creative and, and expressing themselves in really special ways. And so I got connected to a really special community around that time. Um, I was performing a lot. I was understanding and exploring my voice. And um, that relationship came to an end because I was cheated on with six women. And that was a really like devastating mm. next chapter of my life of like, oh God, I've developed and identified this um, musical identity for myself while in this relationship with the person who's a narcissist. And I had to figure out like, well, what does it look like? Me continuing what I know I meant to do. I don't have the encouraging positive support that he gave as a good friend. He just wasn't meant to be a romantic partner. Um, Mm -hmm. So I learned and understood 
my full, like, this is my young 20s. I'm learning how to become the woman that I am now. And there are a lot of things that I thought and felt I needed that I didn't. And all of this, I feel, came to a, pl- a point where I understood my power. I understood my purpose. I knew I deserved more. I knew I deserved better treatment. And I, kn- I knew I deserved everything I'd worked for. No one else's encouragement took away from my own presence and standing and what I've accomplished at that point. I had an EP released. I was able to stop working at Trader Joe's, fully sustain myself with what I was making in music and, and find that freedom and creativity. Um, so post that second relationship is when I then really got to understand my relationship with myself, how music inspires me, how I consume it and how healing it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, time and time again, it's, it keeps saving me in these circumstances and conditions that my surroundings and just alignments came to be with, with my romantic path, with my career path with everything I was navigating with my family and it's all been very intertwined for me. So when I give my music, when I write my music, when I perform my music, you're getting chunks of my life. It's not, mm-hmm. Oh, this makes sense for me to write. Cause I think that would go like, no, it's, um, this is what I lived through and this is what I had to process. And this is what I've endured and survived. And this is how I still choose to like love, people and show up for my community and stand in this really vulnerable thing. So I did my second EP at that time while I was nursing my heartbreak, which was a cover stand. It was a jazz standard cover album of nothing but torch songs that I felt best describe how I was feeling going through this heartbreak. And again, this is me further learning my voice, further being self-sufficient. I recorded and arranged that project. Um, I produced a lot of it alongside Steve Wireman and he was my guitarist for a really long time, good friend. And I learned and understood how I wanted to fully give um, what represented me and my heart at the time. So I released that project and I went through a transition with management. I had a manager at the time. It didn't go well. And that was my only manager I've ever had. I've been self-managing myself. And now I have the guidance of someone named Marina in my life, Marina Harrison. But um, it's been really special to understand and recognize how I love and how I keep continuing to understand that music is the driving point of why I feel I'm meant to be here. Mm -hmm. It is continuously healed myself, healed others, allowed me to stand in my power. Every time I make decisions that support my growth and my expansion in that category, it feels like my angels just rush and bring things to me that I need, that I might not have access to, that I might be worried about. Every time I make a decision in that direction of what I feel my life's purpose is, I just get that support that meets me. And every as long as I keep choosing this path, because it's easy to fall away from it, to take a break, to feel like, damn, do I really have what it takes? Uh Is this really meant for me? Uh Am I supposed to be where I'm at? All those questions are totally natural. And I dance with those all the time, but yes, it's worth it every time. Absolutely. 
You know, Mara, oh my God. I mean, I mean, me and Richie are like chomping at the bit to like <laughs> just express, I mean, so much. I mean, I, first of all, just thank you for being so open and vulnerable with us. Thank you for sharing your humanity, your spirit, your soul with all of us. Um, thank you. It, it means a lot, you know, um, and for you to be so open is, is really, really like, I, I'm a, I'm at a loss for words, but what, what Thank you. you're welcome. And I think that, you know, what you're sharing is that, you know, a lot of times we see the output, the product of an artist that, you know, yes. like that perfectly produced song executed or performed, right. They have no yeah. idea what's, what has gone into it. What, what yeah. the artist has, has probably experienced to bring yeah. such a beautiful piece of art to our lives yeah. based on heartache, adversity, trauma, all the things that you've experienced that you are able to bring all of that yeah. through and into your music. And I just, I can't appreciate you enough for it. And just thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. That, that means a lot. That really does. It's not too many artists and when they do they exist when these artists exist where they're like totally heart forward and they have their own safe boundaries of course for like their own balance but they're really leading by example through what their life is what their art is um what they're sharing how human they are like there's so much illusion and there's so much smoke and mirrors and razzle dazzle and just grind and don't sleep. And it's like, wait a second, self-care. Um, let's <laughs> right. get the rest we need. Um, let's do what we believe in and let's put our life into what we are doing. So I, I, I really appreciate you. Thank you. You're much. welcome. I appreciate you. Yeah, it really, it really strikes me that you say that when you're creating music, you know, your angels come out, right? And I, 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 uh, I took a listen to your uh, Billboard interview um, and it was just a really interesting story to me. So it sounds like the, the very catalyst of this whole thing was that you were just hanging out with some friends in a car and just had the courage to sing to them. Was it that you knew how to sing this whole time? Like, how, how did you know to reach out towards your angels? Um, that's a great question. Um, so I've sang my whole life. My, my parents say, like, since I was a little, little kid, apparently my preschool teacher, I went to lake school. <laughs> Um, when, when it was time to transition out of preschool, they wrote me a note saying, Mara, never stop singing. Your voice is going to change the world. Oh. And it was just like, you know, me like oh. swinging around the yeah. inner tube or like <laughs> jumping on the little bouncy, whatever. And I'm like humming little whatever I'm singing and making yeah. up whatever. It's just oh. being a kid. Right. But I like to sing. And, um, it's. I had a lot of early occurrences like that and then a nice chunk of time where I just felt like silenced and quieted and not listened mm -hmm. to and not heard because I grew up in a lot of trauma as well. Mm -hmm. And so my voice and singing is like where I feel most heard and most seen because in like other aspects of life, I just felt shut down all the time or asked to not have an opinion or have a thought or have a feeling and keep it to myself or you know, maybe what you're expressing is just too much, like tone it down. Mm -hmm. Like basically who I am as I am was not perfectly acceptable. So therefore I had to do a lot of silencing it felt. And so music is also that and like having the early childhood imagination, innocence, and then 
life and things happen through your adolescence and then you get into early adulthood and then you're navigating such heart trauma of being abused, being cheated on. And I mean, my, my third big relationship, he was an alcoholic and learning all those steps, keeping your own identity. So going for what you want to believe in while being a very sensitive soul in this world, I'm an empath. I'm going to feel my way through. I'm going to cry my way through Uh and understanding like what's, what's healthy and protective. What are good boundaries? Why is it absolutely positive to be selfish? Like, and learn all those things. And so I feel like to tie all that in with music and my early relationship with it and how I sang and then I didn't. And then I decided to again. And that is just interesting to think about, to speak about, and to also know like, wow, I, I've made it 13 years now in this industry, which is also mind-blowing as a sensitive soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot to navigate. It's a lot to navigate. Yeah. And I think, I mean, picking up on that. How how do you navigate? Like we know that everything you've been through, these very primary relationships mm-hmm. are source of, sources of adversity, sources of, of yeah. trauma. You've figured out a way to move through them. That doesn't mean you're perfect. We know that. Mm-hmm. None of us mm-hmm. are. To move through them and to use them as inspiration for your music. Like yeah. how, how for anybody out there who's wondering like, Wow, like I have that story too. I want to create yeah. or I, I want my voice heard. Like how and every story is gonna be different, but yeah. to hear that you have one and that, that they can create their own, I think is yeah. could be mind-blowing and life-changing. But like, what would you like to share about that? Like how you move through all of that and are here and still moving through it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um for me. My driving force is creation. So it's not about having it be this grand expression that has this beautiful response that the world can see. It could be as simple as waking up and I have the power to choose like what I'm going to create for my day to day to care for myself the way that I require and need. That's yeah. creation. Uh-huh. Cooking a meal to nourish your body, that's creation. Uh-huh. Choosing whatever music you want to put on that someone else created, that's curating and creating the space you want sonically. Um, like all those little things is how I keep very in tune with myself. Um, nature as well. <laughs> nature is uh-huh. a very big source of inspiration for me. I feel closest to God and most balanced when I'm in the thick of nature, especially the ocean. But if I'm in a forest, if I'm in a field, if I'm outside, if I'm laying in the sand, if my toes are in the water, I just, I need that connection as well. And it's really easy to allow any of the multiple adversities we all are going to continuously face in our life. It's, it's easy to let those things get to you, pull away from your healthy routines. And that's where that, like the teeny tiny spark of creation, that's my driving force. It's like, okay, well, let me let me show up for myself in this way. Let me create in this way. I make a lot of things by hand. I care for people, family members in my life. I care for plants. I'm always involved in some form of caretaking creation because that inspires me. That keeps me going. It makes me feel purposeful. And that's, for me, that's been the most important thing to stay connected to, it's just to listen to spirits, understand. Um, and the more that I do that, the more it becomes apparent. Like when I was little, I was, I know I was asked like, 
how did I know to call in my angels? And I, I didn't, I just felt the need to. And the more that I did, the more they appeared. I didn't, it was just a spirit thing. But before our interview, we asked you to share three songs that you wanted featured on this episode. Beginning with your first song, you know, tell us about your EP titled Archaic Rapture. Tell us about the song in the wee small hours of the morning and why it was written. In the wee small hours of the morning While the whole wide world is fast asleep You lie Archaic Rapture is my second EP that came out in 2014. And that was, that whole project was how I navigated that heartbreak that I was weathering. And so I chose six songs to represent the six women that I was essentially cheated on by. Um, And I wanted to choose specific jazz standards, what are called torch songs, these songs of longing and agony and and sorrow and just kind of like burning the shit down you know (laughs) these songs come from a place of of heartache heartbreak Mm -hmm. um so i chose songs that specifically had been done by either julie london or billy holiday who are two Mm -hmm. singers i really really love Mm -hmm. and i called the project archaic rapture because i wanted that to represent um what was no longer current to me or or present to me. This was the love that I had and shared with this person that 
I went through this experience with that I didn't want to give power to anymore. So I, I titled it that. I chose the songs, but the very last song is Set Me Free. And that's actually the one original song because all the other songs are written in the 30s to the 50s time frame. But Set Me Free, my aunt wrote that song in the 80s. Hmm. And she's a, a beautiful, wonderful singer. And she lives on Kauai. And I traveled out there to record a lot of my music for Archaic Rapture in her studio in the back of her home. So all of that was tied in because she also took care of me when I just kept receiving these really challenging experiences all in the very specific time frame in 2012. It was just a really turbulent year. Mm -hmm. She cared for me for three weeks, just on some baseline level. Let me cook for you. You need to drink enough water, get outside in the sun, just base level um, care for well-being, mental health. And so the whole project was born through that, through the heartache, through the caretaking, through the inspiration of the ocean and songs that I love that I was listening to because when I'm emotional, I like to listen to a song that conveys that emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's a further form of expression. So it's not mm -hmm. just circulating in me. Mm -hmm. And these songs that I chose were that. So in the wee small hours of the morning is a song that really sat with me because I found those hours were particularly the most difficult because you, you wake up at three or four and you're crying, you, you're dealing with what did I do wrong? What could I have done different? Or nah, I'm, I'm cool. That was his mistake. But like, why does it hurt so bad? It just, you're uh -huh. dealing with all those thoughts and feelings. And so I felt like lyrically, um, experience wise, it just was in really deep alignment with what I felt. And so I, that was the only song that I recorded as a straight through take everything else recorded different instruments at different times, pieced it together. But We Smile Hours in the Morning was a clean take from beginning to end at different first studios in San Francisco. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Gosh, <laughs> I'm like imagining you like on Kauai, like in this studio and like being taken care of and loved and how that frees you up yeah. to express, you know? Yeah. You don't have to use that energy for, you know, it's extra energy because you're, you know, recovering from a heart heartbreak. But like yeah. to have that, um, I mean, she's one of your angels for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you mentioned mental health just now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's my jam. And and I give every opportunity to try to have a conversation with the person I'm sharing space with about their take on what mental health is, any aspect of your journey that you'd like yeah. to share. Because when we have these conversations, it, it, you know, anybody out there is like, oh, they can talk about it. Like maybe I can, and it will yeah. help somebody. Right. Yeah. So whatever you feel comfortable with, like, how would you describe your mental health journey? How does yeah. you as a person from Oakland, bred in Oakland, um, a musician, a woman, how do all of those play a role in you know, your mental health journey and how you have experienced it? <laughs> in so many ways, mm. in so many ways. First mm. of all, mental health is just health. Mm -hmm. Your mental is not healthy. Your body is not healthy. Mm. It's, it manifests. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. 
wait. <laughs> I did not give her this script to say right now, but Mara is dropping gems, and I, I need you to say that again for everybody. If your mental is not healthy, your body is not healthy. That's just what it is. You know, have a clean bill of health and be harboring stress and trauma that's unresolved. And it'll pop up in ailments. It'll show up in illness. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. You will get constant migraines and you don't understand why. There's no medical explanation. You stress. There's something (laughs) unresolved in your system, you know? Mental mm-hmm. health is really, really important. And I learned that at an early age. Um, I learned that at an early age. I went into therapy early. My family went through a lot. Abusive, rageaholic father, alcoholic mother, oh. um, and a, a sister eight years older than myself. So I spent a lot of time in my own world. And that Well, my own world was nature. I would go outside and chill outside in nature because that felt comfortable and safe. I wasn't Mm -hmm. around arguments. Mm -hmm. I wasn't around the other things. I was at peace and balanced. And that's, I knew at that early age that nature was a really Mm -hmm. deep form of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also understood that talking about your feelings was important. My mom modeled that a lot. And I was really grateful to see that because my father didn't. He was, you know, typical, like, black man raised to tuck away emotions. And um, I saw that displayed in the household until it just became explosive. Because when you're tucking away, right, mm-hmm. how you feel, That's not right. caring for your mental health, you're having these outbursts. Um, and that can affect everyone involved in those kinds of things. And so... It just, it became very clear to me at a very early age that these things matter, like tone of voice, consideration. And I became hypervigilant. I became really aware of how to scan a room and understand like, where Mm -hmm. do I feel safe? Where do Mm -hmm. I not feel safe? Mm -hmm. Where can I like be playful and express myself in other categories? Like, where do I have to be rigid and listen and make sure I don't act out of character for what someone may expect of me? If, If you learn how to navigate these settings and um, having creative outlets were always helpful for me. My mom got me really active in physical activity, sports. I, I grew up an athlete, a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Like I did mm-hmm. all the physical things. I, I was actually one belt away from my black belt. Um, wow. I studied Capoeira for six and a half years. Mm-hmm. I, in high school, I played softball. I've danced for a really long time. Like in grade school and all of that, I just, I played all the sports. So I was just very, very into physical activity and like friendly competition, supportive competition. If there was (laughs) such a thing, I'm such a gentle, sensitive person. I'm Mm -hmm. competitive because I want to show up and I want to get the job done well. But I'm also like cheering on the other person. Like, yeah, you did that. (laughs) (laughs) I can totally see you doing that. I can totally see you doing that. Being the like competitive, um, ego driven, like that, that thing I I couldn't really get down with. So sports felt like a lot at a, at a certain extent and dancing felt like a really good thing because it had the backbone of music. Right. So through all of this, I was also in therapy because of just my particular set of circumstances growing up. And I 
that's when I learned. And this is a thing that I feel not a ton of people think about. And as the years are progressing, therapy is becoming more popular. There's more platforms where people can access therapy, but then you're missing through all these digital platforms, some of the really important um, connections that I feel are required to have successful therapy. Because you can Mm. find a therapist, you could talk about your stuff and have someone listen to you and nod to you. But if you're not doing the work, if you're not facing the challenging things, if you're not understanding like what cycles you might need a break or the the root of some traumas mm-hmm. are, then I don't feel you can get enough work done through that intention. And I was in, a, in therapy for a really long time through my adolescence, guiding me through like my parents' divorce and in the abuse and trauma that I experienced in that setting. Um, and I had a therapist that I didn't relate to. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel safe talking to. Um, I didn't feel like she took me seriously. And I felt like I had to still show up in that because my parents are like, no, you got to go to therapy. Like you have to see this through. Don't be a quitter kind of thing. Mm. Or, you know, that kind of projection Uh of maybe my child is sensitive enough to know that who she's talking to doesn't work for her. I'm a mixed kid from the Bay talking to an old white woman that's mm. not understanding some of my issues that I'm bringing mm. to the table that I'm not mm. old enough to have the vocabulary to say, wait a second, mm. why do I feel this way? Because you're glazing over a, a pretty formative experience for me and my identity. So I feel like that aspect of therapy and understanding, like connect who you are talking to, make sure that you feel safe with them. If you have specific guidelines, that's fine. It might be harder to find your person, but find your person. like. Finding a right therapist is like dating almost. It's it's a hard thing to get a, all of your needs met. Um, but you still have standards and expectations. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that analogy. I mean, um, I you know, as a therapist, as a as a, a mixed woman as well, um, you know, predominantly from the Bay, um, living here now, like you, like it. it it's important. I think a lot of the people that I work with are like, I just need someone who can relate and, yeah. and show that they want to relate and learn yeah. me and be curious yeah, um, and be interactive and want to have a relationship with me. Yeah, Because that's what it is. When you are looking for a therapist, it's like, I'm looking for a relationship with someone who can yeah. be with me through yeah. all of who I am. Yeah, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone who's going through my own mental health journey, something that I struggle with is access to that vulnerability. You know, it seems like you do it like, you know, you're, 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 you want to do that work like in session, but you do it through that music. And I guess the question that I have is, how do you, how do you gain access to that vulnerability? I honestly dislike saying, um, I feel my traumas brought me to the place of that access because I had to be vulnerable. I felt unsafe a lot. I experienced things that brought me a lot of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to let that compromise who I still am as a person though, but that allowed me to develop a certain set of tools and understandings around well I can be I can be myself and maybe if I tell my story through my music maybe it'll help someone and mm-hmm. through the years I've been doing it, it has been. And I I like to think, and I'm not saying that it makes everything I went through okay, but I feel like 
as a musician, I have a responsibility to remain authentic as I always have been and give what my experiences have been because I find that the purpose behind it is not only for me to like arrive to my wholeness and my understanding of what mm-hmm. I'm meant to do here, but to also be courageous enough to share it because of everything I endured. I felt so alone going mm. through it. And music was the thing that kept me constant company. And having that come full circle through what I do is really important to me. I don't take that lightly. It's it's healing work. It's light work. It's it's healing my own like childhood wounds that mm. I need to do work to make sure I'm standing in and moving through and healing from. It's it's all there. It's all there. And elements that are reflected back to me through what I keep choosing to do is just it continuously affirms that I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. And it's gonna take the time that it takes and it's okay. If it's longer than most, it's okay if I'm not out here popping on billboards and things. <laughs> my goal. My goal is to feel whole through what mm. I do and to make it easier for other folks in this world too that feel super alone. Mm, I love it. I love it. I mean, I I want to like reach over and, and hug you right now, but like, we're like, oh my god! Like, like, go have lunch with you right now or something, and just keep talking. But you talk about responsibility a lot, yeah. you know. Um, what is your responsibility to Oakland, the people of Oakland? What does it mean to you to be here in this town? Um, with everything that you've gone through and how you create, like, how would you talk about that? Everything I am and everything that I do is rooted here. It's such a massive part of my identity. Oakland means the absolute world to me, like mm. the Bay Area, because it's not just Oakland that raised me. Like I'm I'm from Oakland. I grew up here, but it's yep. every, the Bay Area is what influences everything, all the facets. and it's really important to me to show up in the community in ways that are authentic to who I am as well. There's a lot of different community-based things that for me have felt like, man, I love that this is present. And then sometimes I feel like, man, it's hard for me to feel like there's a safe space for me to be all that I am and feel like it's just a town worthy. Like if, if that makes mm, sense, there's, uh-huh. there's an air and a spirit to being from the town that if you don't uphold that, then you're mm. not like as bay. Mm, and uh-huh. I think it's important that the Bay Area is really alternative. It's really quirky. There's a lot of gems of things that you don't expect to come from here, which is again, why it's so special. And I'm a product of that. I'm Oakland public school system. Like that's what I came up in. I grew up in the Oakland Hills. I explored and understood like nature, creativity, curiosity, sports, and all of that from the particular lens of being from the Bay and having all the elements that we have present. I can't go anywhere else and not be from the Bay. Like that's right, right. It's in me. <laughs> right. You can take the girl out the bay, but you can't take the bay out the girl, right? Right? You truly can't. <laughs> I'm curious to know your perspective on, you know, all the changes. Like, you know, I was born and raised in the bay. Um, you know, year after year, a year ago, like I live in Berkeley. Berkeley was way different. Five years ago, way different. Ten years ago, way different. Like, how, how are you taking those changes? Like, 
does that culture, you know, how does that culture change in the Bay? It's hard, man. Mm -hmm. It's hard, honestly. Um, There's a lot of aspects to that. There's the like not wanting change, selfish, craving for like old memory filter you could have of like, this is what I knew it to be and it ain't that. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of change that's happening that's good for the community, good for representation. There's also chaos everywhere you turn. It's it's so mixed. It's so jumbled. It's such a tender thing. It's such a tender thing. I um I feel like I don't recognize the bay that we're in in terms of how it feels vibrationally. But everywhere I turn, I see exactly where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's the it's deeply sentimental it's wildly familiar but it's also feeling incredibly foreign um crime out here is at a a different type of thing i mean people from here from here folks from north oakland west oakland deep east like that are from areas that aren't even super safe are like yo like i don't know what this is now like i'm scared Mm -hmm. of the town there's there's something that's happening that's vibrationally changing like the safety um <laughs> it's so many aspects and i get so emotional about like what i think about the bay what it has been what it's becoming hope mm-hmm. in it and then things that also feel entirely hopeless i i lived out of the area for a while so i had the opportunity to live in atlanta for about a year mm-hmm. three months and i moved back to the bay and first of all, the amount that it changed in the time that I was gone was appalling to come back to, even though I visited all the way through coming back to it felt very, very different. Um, and then the set of circumstances I was dealing with, it was a very tender, vulnerable transition as well. Yet again, another breakup coming back home, like mm. figuring out like my place, being welcomed back into the bay in a way that I feel like. I hadn't really ever even felt before. Like before I left, I had this feeling of, man, like, I don't know if my town sees me or like gets what I'm doing or I wasn't feeling super encouraged. And I was just going through my own mental sets of wondering if what I was choosing was truly meant for me and if I could do it here and if I had to go somewhere else and and I went somewhere else and I came right back and I Uh felt more connected and more in power of my vision, my expression, and what I know I'm meant to do, it all really just like struck me on my return. So that also says something about what is happening with these changes and what is our community wanting to do to see each other, uphold each other, because we're also feeling pushed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so, it's so complex. Um, and it's tied in with a lot of like, selfishness and sentiment too of like mm. what we knew it was that nostalgia. It yeah yeah that's, that's really yeah mm-hmm. no thank you for that you you've mentioned a couple times that you know the role that sports has played in being an athlete and a dancer yeah you know how how, how do you describe the role that move movement physical movement dancing 
expressing yourself on the field? Like how, how does that play into who Mara is? So deeply, so deeply. Um, I learned about my strength through all the physical activity I was in from a really early age. Um, and each of them brought something different to me. Um, uh-huh. Being in martial arts for a long time and the kind of discipline that brought to my life, uh-huh. um, the understanding of don't go looking for conflict. You want to de-escalate. You don't want to uh-huh. be out here. There's a certain set of tools that I got from that that really shaped me and molded me. Um, and then understanding like team sports in high school, I I was shortstop for Skyline's softball team. I only played JV because I was okay. more serious about dance. And the dance rehearsal schedule that was required, I couldn't commit to varsity. So I, I played JV for about two years until I was like, damn, I can't even give that time. I need to do dance yeah. full time because mm-hmm. I was dancing at Skyline and then I was in a professional company outside of Skyline. So I was doing mm-hmm. twice the dance work through the week. But that let me know and understand that I was deeply rooted to my connection in music. I was learning how to express myself through physical movement Mm -hmm. when I was still too scared to use my voice. So it was incredibly healing and nurturing. Mm -hmm. So what my needs were at the time, that was my safe space. It It was what I needed to be who I am today. And I learned the importance of repetition of practice, of teamwork, of knowing that it's not always about you standing alone. Sometimes it's about how you come together as a Mm -hmm. full unit and what you express through that. Dance gave me a lot. It gave me comfortability with my stage presence. How to Mm -hmm. learn how to move on the stage without using your voice yet was exactly the training I needed because I was too scared to use my voice. So I learned how to move on stage first. And then I met my voice with it. It was everything I needed. Um, and then actually in my adult years, I joined an adult co-ed softball team and I played for like three years. <laughs> and that was competitive, right? Like the... Man, actually <laughs> they really do. And I, I enjoyed it. It was for me, healthy competition. Yeah. And then also like my other teammates would be really mad when they lost. I'm like, man, but. I feel great. Like my endorphins, the serotonin levels is popping. Right. 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 It was exactly what I needed as well. And um, Mm -hmm. I've I've been really big, not in the last recent years of my life, um, but running, biking, yoga, just having that constant expression of physical exertion for mental balance. Mental clarity, like it's necessary. It's really, really necessary. And when I'm not active, I feel the difference. My mental health suffers and struggles. And I'm just so grateful that all the different, like really vast ways that I learn how to be physically active and connect with that part of my brain and my body, it really let me know just how necessary and vital it is to have for your own mental, emotional balance, especially being a creative. I'm picking up on the creative parallel like in sports and music as you're as you're talking about it. The next song that you chose to be featured is called Send It On, uh, which is a D'Angelo cover from his album entitled Voodoo. Can you tell us more uh, you know about 
the From Her Eyes EP and about the song's significance to you, but also when it comes to creative problem solving in sports and music, like, is there a parallel? Like, as, you, as you're talking about repetition, right, as you're talking about, like, that freeness, that feeling of freeness, like, what's that connection there for you? Her Eyes is my very first EP that I released in 2010. And then Archaic Rapture came out in 2014. Um, but From Her Eyes was, as I mentioned earlier, how I taught myself how to use Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. I recorded and arranged my vocals. And I was just getting my like 
musical sea legs, if you will, trying to figure that process out. Um, and the thing about learning that way is you you just have to like maybe I'll I'll parallel that with sports. Like when you know what team you're playing for in music, like maybe your team is yourself. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to show up in. And there's parts that allow that to be possible. It's not a I only did it by myself. No, I played with musicians. I didn't know what I was doing with Pro Tools. I had a couple friends like a call that could give mm. me some advice or links to be like, oh, watch this YouTube tutorial. It's still teamwork happening there. And right. with playing sports, I was able to understand that far earlier that, okay, I can't do this alone. I thought that I was supposed to. I had someone let me know, nah, just call some folks you know that play what you need and like bring the vision together in that way. And that's when that I became my own team and I began to understand and assemble who can support this vision. How do we get this thing accomplished? Because I just, I also feel like so many people say, oh yeah, I did it myself. I got it out the mud. I, you know, I, <laughs> I started nowhere and like, this is where I'm at now. And it's very commendable, all the work that was done by that one person, but it's, it's a team effort as right. to how that person got there. Mm-hmm. And that was something for me that I noticed and understood um, very, very quickly. But um, you also, again, develop your own relationship with who do I feel safe with? Who do I mm. feel good recording with? Who can actually see the vision? Who's trying to deter the vision? I had someone tell me that my idea for From Her Eyes was a terrible idea and I shouldn't pursue it, that no one would want to listen to it. And if I would have listened to that, it wouldn't have existed. It wouldn't have changed the course of my life to be able to do what I love uh-huh. and find my purpose at a way deeper level. So, um, yeah, <laughs> not listening to people that are trying to uphold unhealthy competition or um, that are functioning through ego and envy and yep. fear and destruction, that yep. negative frequency. Um, learn how to read who you're going to be working with and around and understand that if your vision is just as important to you, then everyone else's vision should also be in alignment with that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super important. Um, and so recording from her eyes, I learned, I was learning how to express my musical interpretations through also recording that project and the importance of all those songs. Um, it's a cover album of songs that were all originally done by men. And I wanted to give my feminine perspective on um, how these songs made me feel without changing the lyrics, just give my own interpretation of what these songs meant to me, how they sat with me. And so each and every song held a specific kind of like sentiment or experience in my life. Like this, the Jamiroquai song. I'm I'm a huge Jamiroquai fan. Like I've been listening to Jamiroquai since I was in what the fourth, fifth grade. This I like I love I love so um doing a Jamiroquai cover only felt right because I'm also wanting to honor the people specifically catering to men that I was listening to. Not to say I was listening to a lot of powerful, strong women that were getting me through. But I just thought it was uh, an interesting, clever take to express not only my taste in music, these are the artists that I listen to and like and love, but also these are artists that have sat with me in my own 
life of experiences and their music has gotten me through some times that if I was listening to anything else, maybe I would have responded or reacted differently. So from her eyes, just that it's a project of songs that can give a peek into what I was listening to while I was navigating a lot of things as I was learning and understanding I wanted to do music. Thank you for that. And send it on in particular, like what was it about that D'Angelo cover? Like why that song? It's (laughs) D'Angelo. That's it. That's all we need to know. (laughs) Voodoo is that album. It is that album. I, my birthday was on February 22nd. It just passed. And what did I want to listen to that day? Voodoo. Of course. Mm -hmm. Like it, it never gets old. It never gets old. And I knew that I wanted to do a song from that album. Um, and I was torn between whether I wanted to do Send It On or Africa. And I decided to go with Send It On. And it meant a lot to me because D'Angelo is an artist that I would listen to that would get me through a lot of times where, again, I felt really alone in my life. And I have a lot of fond memories listening to his album, looking out my bedroom window and just seeing the trees move and just being in my own world for that album, writing, drawing, creating, doing whatever, just having that soundtrack to accompany me made me feel less alone and send it on. And the sentiment of the lyrics is just like, you got this, hold on, be present, like show up in life with love and what you give is what will come in full circle. That's my interpretation. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the importance of doing that song. Pivoting back to, you know, continuing, I should say with sports, is there a particular sports moment from watching or playing sports that you can share that meant a lot to you? Uh, tell us about a sports lesson, you know, you picked up along the way. One that really comes to mind. I actually wish it were something different because I wanted like a triumphant story or something like that. But, um. (laughs) What came to mind is when I was studying and practicing and training in Taekwondo, I was one belt away from my black belt. I was the only girl in the black belt club. And I, again, grew up a tomboy. I was just all about, all about the sports and how I could be physically active. And um, I'm young at this time. I'm like in the fifth grade. I started a little earlier and I kept doing that. A few years after, but in the fifth grade specifically, I dislocated my kneecap and I wasn't able to train and get through the completion of getting my black belt. But uh, my instructor was like, that's all good. I went to uh, Pitt's Martial Arts Academy, by the way. It's a very Bay-based martial arts. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Mm. Shout out. And Pitt's. Um, cause that's where I practiced Capoeira and that's where I trained in Taekwondo. And, um, I, I dislocated my kneecap. I was out of commission for a while and I was really nervous to come back. I had a lot of anxiety about coming back at that early age. Like it just felt like, oh my God, I'm so far behind. And like all the people I was training with, they all got their black belts. And like, I, I wanted to come back and be great. And I wasn't giving myself the understanding that it, it takes time to like reestablish where you left off after an injury. And when I came back, there was this, there was this boy who I was always partnered with in sparring. And 
I would usually always win. And because I'd injured my knee and because I was out for a while, he was kind of feeling himself. Um, and I was paired up to spar with him. And he went for my knee and he kicked me in my knee. And I just remembered feeling like stunned and shocked and like, I can't believe you would do that. Just so sensitive. And I was already like anxious about returning. Mm. This is my first sparring match back. And I'm like trying to like get back with the program so I could get my black belt. And I was just so shocked out of that moment that I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, I never got my black belt. I decided like, if I'm going to go there and get injured and like, granted it was handled the right way. He got a stern talking to, he was also kicked out. He wasn't welcome to come back. Like they didn't tolerate that kind of treatment, which I really appreciated and respected. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make it a safe space for me as well. Mm-hmm. But I just, I felt so stunned and shocked out of wanting to return. I kept doing Capoeira for a while after that, but I, I, I stopped pretty acutely with my training in Taekwondo because of how that experience felt to me and how just like jarring it was that a person would choose to do that. And like, I don't move through the world that way. And that was kind of like an early lesson. And, you know, if you carry this tender heart and someone else has other intentions, you can't, ex- you can't expect everyone to move around with a mm-hmm. tender heart that is looking for the same kind of you know, vibrations that you're, you're moving through in this world. So long story short, I quit, never got my black belt. And that's something I always think about actually is what would it have looked like if I spoke up through what I was feeling? If I had told Mr. Pitts, like, Hey, I'm overwhelmed and I'm scared to return. And like, I could have maybe worked with him on that. Like I was more so just, Nope, I'm done. And instead of working through it. And I think about that a lot, not with regret, but more so with the understanding that like, well, if I'm ever in the face of something where I am treated unfairly or treated poorly, use your voice, speak up, mm-hmm. say what you might want to be different, work with someone who's, who's showing behaviors that they are your advocate and your ally. Like look for those types of things. Cause I was young. I, like I said, it was in maybe the sixth grade at this mm-hmm. time. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind when I think about a moment in and around sports that I gained a lesson from it's, it didn't fully make me a quitter. I had my reasons as to why I wanted to stop, but also in hindsight, I could have handled it differently too. Not, I don't hold regret. It's just, I feel I could have worked through that with who was proving to be an advocate for me. Yeah. I just add to that, like something that so many athletes go through, you know, it's like that, um, that conviction to to continue to go forward, you know, especially in that face of adversity on the field or sparring or whatever the situation is. Yeah, not to label it. If you, uh, I like to call it like you're pivoting or making a different choice. Exactly. You know, and that led me quitting. to taking Capoeira more seriously, which yep. led me to dance, which led exactly. me to music. Exactly. It was all exactly. there. It was all there. So I don't hold regret for sure, but it's it's just, it's thinking again about that that conviction, how to show up, what that looks like for you, what kind of decision you're making, what holds importance through that decision. Like that all is so tied in there. And the ally advocate piece that you're talking about. I mean, you touched on it earlier about how important it is to surround yourself with people who support you and uplift you and want the same for you and how to sort of weed out or put boundaries up around people who 
you know, intentionally or not, you know, don't vibe with you in the way that's the best for you and bring negativity yeah. or envy or anything like that. How how would you recommend, like if a young person, you know, was struggling with that and trying to leave like a, a situation that was maybe not healthy for them? Like it's, we all know it's not easy to do, you know, it's for not. anyone out there listening, like, is there any perspective or anything that you'd want them to think about in something like that? The first thing I always go to is find the courage to use your voice first and foremost for whatever the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think there's a really deep part of, again, whatever circumstance you're in, blame we place on ourselves for being in something that might not be favorable or safe feeling or turbulent or dangerous or tiring or just unhealthy for you. A lot of times there's a mentality that comes into play where you're like, Oh, but I made these decisions. Oh, but I made this choice. Mm-hmm. Got me here. Oh, well, I mean, I got to see this through. If it feels unsafe and if it feels unhealthy, and if you're not getting any benefit, don't do it. Don't do it. But if it's in alignment with a life calling um, purpose that you know you're meant to continue down this path and might transform into something different advocate for yourself, identify again around you who can be an advocate as well and face whatever might be bringing you that discomfort. I don't feel that discomfort has to be suffered through Uh in order to like achieve the thing. And there's tricky situations and circumstances where honestly it might not seem like or feel like there's a, a resolve or a result that can be safer feeling that's allowing you to still keep doing the thing if you're if you're facing some kind of danger adversity in it but um really knowing and understanding how to use your voice what is worth speaking up for who is in your corner with you who is understanding these things too where do you feel safe and if it again if it's if you're showing signs of like physical illness mental anguish just Mm. things that are really deteriorating you it might be worth thinking about a pivot. But yeah, so I, I, I mean, when something's kicking you, you know, in the knee in your life, like do, do something about it. Like you know, you can, you can, you can do something about that. I know. For example, if I, if you don't mind my sharing, I've been struggling with um, completing my original album. I've been working on it for a really long time, and I've, for the last two years, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the year. This is, this is going to be the year, and it hasn't, it hasn't been the year yet. And I've totally beat myself up for it. I've absolutely Mm. been like really hard on myself because I just feel like, oh my gosh, my last release was 2014. Like, am I even relevant anymore? And there's things that we tell ourselves as creatives, as anyone showing up in something purposeful, if like you're on the right time scale of it, if you're making the right decisions, if you're being persistent enough if you're holding healthy practices. And um, I came to this acceptance and understanding that, no, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm taking the time that I need to take. And with believing that, not just like telling yourself that, but with believing that, it has unlocked some things for me. And I feel really grateful to feel like I'm, I'm now this close to being <laughs> done with the album, but it's, it's still, again, quite the process. Um, 
there's a lot of people who feel like the time that they're taking to do something is too much time and maybe they just shouldn't even do it at all. Or maybe like, is anyone even still wanting to hear this thing that I've said I've been working on for so long that's been supporting me for so long. And it's that, that piece that you have to hold when you look in the mirror and it's like, no, I'm meant to do this. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. It's going to come out at the right time when it's meant to come out. And not only that, but taking the time that I've taken has allowed a far wider perspective to be held in what my original album, which is going to be my first original album I've ever released. My two projects are our cover albums. So it's a big moment. And I feel like we psych ourselves out for these big moments to try and do it on someone else's expectation or time frame or what we think society would be more accepting of. It's, it's all those layers, but um, that just came to mind, mind and heart speaking on the time that you need to take to do something. I hear my own therapist going off in my head right now, honestly. She's telling me, is it, is it too much time or is it right on time? You know, and, and uh, she, she's, she said this, I got to give her credit to her. She said, if, if ifs were a fifth, we'd all be drunk. And I always think, of, I, I always think about that. <laughs> I always think about that because I'm like, oh, but what but if, I, if I, you know, and like, what, what am I getting drunk on that for? Like, it don't, it don't do me good. Right, right. On a on a broader scale, when it comes to sports, like I, I'm talking, I guess more philosophically, like why do you think that they exist? Like, what do they communicate to us and in society? Like, it's a broad spectrum. I feel yeah. like it's as far as like the age old white male boredom, but then there's also the aspect of survival and tactics, like the whole history of Capoeira was, you know, folks of color fighting for their life, trying mm. to strategize and developing a sport that looked entertaining or folks that are just bored and want to, you know, create a thing that can be exciting. And then everything in between. There's, of course, the benefit of teamwork and understanding and moving and working together, growing together, strengthening together. And then it's like, the crazy, competitive, ego-driven shenanigans that exist in that world. But it's, it's so many things. I, I feel like beyond that, I don't even want to speak on why sports exist. I love sports. I love games. I love friendly, supportive competition. But there's a lot about it that also is, is a lot, is just absolutely a lot. Yeah, I think it's one of... It's one of those things, uh, you know, I could equate it to even music. You know, it's we, we just all sort of just have come to this agreement to like stop and like, you know, do this thing and, and follow these certain set of rules and uh, goal and try to accomplish that goal. And it's just something that's always been really fascinating to me. It's why it exists, you know, large scale. Yeah. 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 It's, it's also we're social creatures. This community, I guess I do have more to say. <laughs> we're social creatures. We thrive in community. We thrive in cheering. We thrive in competing. There's a lot of things that have to do with the communal aspect that sports definitely activate. Yeah, and I actually think that's a, perf- a perfect segue into our next question in regards to the sports, the passion of sports being reflected in community. Can you speak to the role that community played in your upbringing? In what ways did your community raise you? In every way possible. <laughs> in every 
possible way that it, it could exist. Um, my, my mother was a flight attendant. My father was a pilot. So they were gone a lot. So community was also very instrumental. My mm. godmother raised me. Um, and then if I wasn't with my godmother or my mom or my dad, I'm, I'm with friends that are living in different areas of the Bay. I'm, you know, active in community events, sports things, after school things, um, that are creating this, this understanding and this community and this network of, no, there's people looking out for me. There's people caring for me. There's people showing up for me. Um, you know, I, I mention a lot of the things I go through and feeling alone, but it doesn't mean I didn't have community. It just means I felt that way while mm-hmm. actively showing up within my community and what that was all presenting itself to be. I think about how instrumental that time was for me through, through dance and what that family, all the things that I was involved in, they were micro families. Mm-hmm. And so I had my, my dance family. I had um, two dance families at school and outside of school. I had my sports family. I had my martial arts family. I developed families through what those expressions were through once I began singing and then meeting more musicians, having that musical family. Um, it all it all is community. It all is shaping you. It all is giving you these Easter eggs and tidbits of things that you need. You you need that community. And it was incredibly instrumental. Sports specifically, it gave me the perfect reflection of what to do, what not to do, who to listen to, who is unsafe, who's looking out for you. It gave me such a clear understanding, I think, of how to also read people, how to know when, again, I feel safe. That's that's really important to me. I, I obviously keep bringing it up, but that everyone should feel safe and not a lot of people do in a lot of circumstances and sports and the community participation and my upbringing really gave me a good perspective, like a very unique Bay Area tailored perspective. <laughs> Lisa, anything you want to add there before we ran out the conversation? No, I'm I'm excited for you to ask the last one about her song and stuff. Like that's what I'm waiting for. So I'm I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. But before we before we ask that, I just want to make sure to uh, get the plug in. Like, how can folks listening, you know, support your work? Where can folks find you on social media? Shout out to Jazzish happening every Wednesday at Victory yes, Hall. Yes, you pulled up to last night. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Awesome set. Thank yeah. you again. Of course. So there's a few ways and a few things that people can either be a part of or just access what I'm doing. Instagram is my primary social media tool. Not too active on on Facebook or other platforms, but Instagram is like that one that I can remain consistent with and I give my most current dealings on. Um, And what's the handle? So my Instagram is M-A-R-A-H-R-U-B-Y. That's my handle for any of my social media, but on Instagram specifically, that'll take you to um, my page where the link in the bio takes you to all the stuff that I have going on, whether I'm doing a live performance, whether you want to shop my online store, because I, I make different things by hand. I mm. make homemade jams and aromatherapy blends and gemstone beaded bracelets, as well as my music is all, it all lives in my online store. Um, and so that's just mararuby.com, again, spelled M-A-R-A-H-R-U-B-Y. 
Um, beyond that, I will say that the Jazzish Wednesdays, so every single Wednesday, I am DJing at Victory Hall in San Francisco. For those of you who don't know, three, oh, I was going to say 3.30. <laughs> Victory Hall is the old 3.30 Rich. So for the folks from the Bay who know about 3.30 Rich and have never been to Victory Hall, it's, it's a lovely space. Really, it's ran by really good people. Um, the food is really amazing. And every Wednesday, I'll be spinning some of my favorite vinyl selections there. Um, aside from that, 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. every Wednesday. This coming Wednesday, um, will be I'll be the featured DJ that night. For your last song and our last question, we're, we're actually lucky enough to feature an unreleased song of yours called Offering You My Love, which is the title track of your upcoming original album. The song contains acoustic guitar, beautiful harmonies, and the following lyrics that really struck me. We've got to be prepared for the hard times so we can enjoy life and not break when we may fall. No one said this would be easy. I hope you do believe me. Please hear me when I say I gave you my all. Yesterday when I was at Victory Hall, you said to me, music is medicine. So how is this song medicine to you? What does it mean to you? I would carry it all if you need me to, just to see you through, that's what I could do. Oh mm-hmm. 
thought I gave you all the answers I knew what my plan was But oh how things would change Now all I want is for our love to the cycle so please hear me when I say I would trade it all just to say I do standing before This song is actually the biggest um, symbol of medicine of all my songs, actually. Mm. Um, this song, this specific rendition and or version of it is the demo. So this will not be the final version that will be on my album, but the demo will also live on my album because of its importance to my own personal life. But I wrote this song um, in an attempt to be seen by my ex-partner and it was our five-year anniversary and I was living in Atlanta and I came back home to get a knee surgery and he was on tour and I was moving through a really difficult time of being immobile, being away from my partner, um, living under the same roof with my mom while I had to receive assistance through this knee surgery and um, feeling like I just wasn't being seen or heard by my partner. I didn't feel he was listening to me. I didn't feel he was even checking in on my well-being. Um, he was far too preoccupied with um, what was right in front of him, which is also understandable, but I was reaching that point where I was starting to understand and feel and see, no, I, I deserve someone to to see me, to check in mm -hmm. on my well-being, to ask how I'm doing, to know that they have the capacity to show up in their life's calling and also ask how I'm doing. That's not an impossible ask. So I wrote the song um, to send to him on our five-year anniversary because he refused to come to the Bay to visit, to spend that day together. Um, and I just felt like, oh, you know what? Let me just, okay, let me accept that. He's tired, came off tour. Um, he probably wants to stay settled. Like, I don't blame him. I'm just a little sad because I, you know, I can't fly yet. It's, I didn't have that clearance. So let me just, let me just give this offering of my love. And it, it began that way. And I'm like, oh, that, that's what I should call the song. And I, I wrote it in two days. Hmm. And that's, me playing acoustic guitar, that's the, the guitar I bought in 10th grade, actually. And I recorded it in my mom's guest room that I was recovering in. And I just, I laid down all my harmonies. Like it just, it just came together in two days. And it, it just felt like he's going to hear this. 
and he's going to feel my heart. He's going to see me. He's going to know exactly what I'm saying by the song because we've had other conversations outside of that, touching on these topics. And I felt to deliver it so intentionally, so poetically, so uniquely. Um, I sent it to him and his response did not meet what I felt I had hoped for and deserved. It was more like a, I cool. Like, what's up? You going to write more? Cause like I'm out here getting it. Like I'm, I'm working and you know what you wrote one song and how long have you been home recovering? And it was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, you're missing. Like, did you hear the words or and I was just met with again not being seen, uh-huh. not being heard, not really being even listened to, just kind of like brushing it off. And for me, I was like, oh, I think this is the beginning of the end. Mm. Because that was like the grandest gesture I could have possibly given at that time, knowing everything else I had done and tried to be seen in the way that I desired and deserved. On that note, uh, you know, Mara, you just take it right back. We take it right back to the beginning with an expression of gratitude. You know, thank you so much for showing us all these different parts of yourself. Lisa, too, thank you so much for, for your time. Richie, thanks so much. It's so fun. I love doing this with you. And Mara, this is a great one to start with. I mean, so much wisdom, heart, soul, just like inspiration. Um, people are going to get so much out of it. I know I have. Um, it's going to touch a lot of people. This means a lot to me, too, more than I can properly express. Thank you both for your time, your patience, your understanding, just everything across the board. This has been so lovely, so pleasant. I just, y'all are really special and amazing. Thank you. Okay, And cool. I do want to say one more thing before it closes out. I just want to speak my niece's name. That's Please! It. What is it? Jazz. Jazz Amira Hardrick. Beautiful. I just really wanted to speak her name. She means a lot to me. Mm. How old is she? She was 13. Mm. I carry her with me through everything I do. It's even doing this night called Jazzish. I'm like, it better be called Jazzish. It, it better be. And like, come on. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. No. I, I put her in everything I do. So I just wanted to speak her name so thank you thank you thank you Mm -hmm. thank you for doing that athlete mindset is part of the cas source podcast network at cas source we love podcasts in fact we love building podcasts everything from development to production because of all that we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CazSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CazSource Podcast Network.